This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line? Touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. It could be Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm, Disney Toon Studios, direct-to-DVD, Disney Channel. We don't care. We talk about movies because we love movies and we love Disney. So that is what we do here at the Disney Film Project and at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program, and along with the folks you are about to meet, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find Blu-ray and DVD reviews. You can find all kinds of fun stuff about the shorts of the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s from Disney. You can find the show notes for this very show and possibly even other great content. Just go over and look at the newly redesigned DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining us, as always, are the fine film experts you have come to know and love. First of all, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who is neither sleeping nor a beauty. Yes. Also, I got these great wings on eBay. Interesting. Weird how that happened. Yeah, they move a lot, though. Yeah, that's, that is kind of the drawback when you buy those. Yeah. Although, like, if, you, if they don't, then you kind of feel ripped off, too. So, it's understandable. Yeah. They talk. All right, moving on. Uh, also with us from JustPressPlay.net is Miss Rachel Kolb. How are you, Rachel? I'm doing all right. I'm home, I'm relaxed, I'm ready to talk about some fantasy, so I'm excited. Ready to leave the real world behind for a little while, right? Oh, yes. And, of course, the person who keeps this ship uh, sailing on time, everything going smoothly, we have our fine producer, Ms. Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find at about.me slash CherylP3 or on Twitter at CherylP3. How are you, Cheryl? I'm doing good, and I'm responsible for that redesign. Um, although Ryan gave me approval, I, I did it. I made some things much easier to find. Like, if you were a fan of the shorts or Ryan's projects post, those are right up there under that Pages tab and other than that our podcast posts are, are nice and easy to find there you go so make sure you guys go check that stuff out and uh, we'll, we'll be hopefully getting some more stuff up there soon as well so all right so today we are talking about uh, maleficent um it, it's taken us all a while to see the movie because there's just a lot of good movies out there so just deal with it and move on we are talking about maleficent the the angelina jolie film uh from disney that has been a box office sensation and uh to help us out we wanted to bring in uh as we do from time to time friends of the show uh f-o-t-s for short uh, we have with us the host of the Geekin' on WDW podcast, Curtis and Lindsay. How are you guys? We're great. How are you guys doing? Fabulous, as always. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello indeed. 
All right. Uh, so as mentioned, um, thank you guys for joining us. And we are talking about Maleficent. Uh, I assume you guys saw the movie uh, a few a few weeks ago uh, when it came out. Um, what don't don't tell us what you thought. You know, initial ratings or anything. But like, were you excited to see it, or did you uh, were you were you kind of hesitant, or how'd you go into to, to watching this one? I was really excited to see this new retelling of um, the Sleeping Beauty story because the Sleeping Beauty story is one of my favorites. So I was thrilled to go see it. I've been waiting forever since I saw the first initial previews. And we were down in Disney World on the first week of June, and we got a chance to see the previews there at oh, the Hollywood nice. Studios. Yeah. And it was one of the best previews I've ever seen. Yes, I'd seen it there as well. I think that, I think that I I really think they should change the theater. Um, I'd like to see it more in the premier theater, um, which is bigger seating and more updated seating than the than the theater we were in. <laughs> um, um, I also wanted to comment really quick on wh- why we're waiting longer to do newer movies. Um, something that we found out recently is Ryan gave us a nice, lovely gift of some movie gift certificates, and we went to use them for Maleficent. And they said, oh, nice. They said, yes, you can lose these for us, and plus you have to pay us six extra dollars because this movie just came out. I'm like, okay, no big deal. But <laughs> for some families, six dollars per ticket might be a little bit big of a deal. So yeah, for sure. So a lot of people do buy the club, buy it from like AAA, the the big box stores like BJ's or something or Sam's Club. So that's why I'm also that's why we're also adding some time into these new ones, because the first two with any movie ticket you get the first two weeks are usually blocked for, yeah. for gift certificates. So well, and the other thing too is like I think sometimes it takes a little while to to digest some of these films, um, you know, and and kind of think about them a little bit more as opposed to ones that you know typically to, to go behind the curtain yes you might have heard Todd and Rachel say many times they'll watch the movies at least twice uh in many cases if they can stand it <laughs> if it's not boatniks and you know so so with a new one it's kind of harder to do that and it takes a little while for uh some of the information to get out there and some of those things so we like to we we like to give you guys a full view of the film not just uh, uh our initial reactions and maybe you know we might switch it up from time to time and do a little bit of both but we try we like to try new and different things around here cuz we're crazy like that <laughs> uh so so Todd Rachel what about you guys were you when you uh heard about the film when you were headed into the theater uh Apprehensive, happy, excited. What did you think? Yes. All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that I was a little bit apprehensive um, because this was a first-time director here. Um, he's uh, Robert uh, Stromberg. He's been known for doing visual effects before, but this was the first film that he was directing, and it happened to be a huge blockbuster for Disney. Right. So and and also the fact that it was Linda Wolverton who I've enjoyed some of her scripts but I didn't really like her work on Alice in Wonderland so I was feeling a little bit hesitant oh, about my feelings towards this too. movie. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw yeah, that. Yeah. It's it's interesting because we haven't we haven't done the uh, the Johnny Depp Alice in Wonderland on the show yet. Um, I'm sure, and I think we're getting to it soon, but. That sort of kicked off this Disney retelling their animated features 
business that they're now in because you know we've got Cinderella next year. There's a Little Mermaid remake on the horizon, that sort of thing, um, which I'm not sure is a trend I'm really thrilled about. But I'm I'm like you, Rachel. I was very apprehensive going into this uh, because I, I've never really been a huge Angelina Jolie fan. Uh, the first time director worried me. Wolverton worried me a little bit. Um, the the fact that it's a retelling uh, from the villain's point of view, I feel like has been done before and probably been done better was my thought process going into the film. I mean, it's something, it's it's sort of a trend between Wicked and the, the Johnny Depp, Alice in Wonderland that now we're getting these retellings of fairy tales. It's sort of all over the place in pop culture. As yeah. I like to call it, it's like the Once Upon a Time that we're getting for TV. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's another this, good example. This felt like a very high production episode of Once Upon a Time at points. <laughs> I, I, I guess my biggest problem with it is that um, I am of the minds, uh, you know, and I, I know I'm jumping the gun on this because this is sort of like an endgame commentary almost at this point, but sure. um, I sort of feel like you have a villainess and she's a villainess because of her mystery. And when you demystify her and you give her heroic quality, she ceases being what she was created to be. Right. And and I, I it bothers me a lot. That and that's really mostly what bothers me about this movie. I mean, it's it's a gorgeous movie, so don't get me wrong. There, it's I mean, this guy Stromberg, that's what he does, and it shine shows through in this movie completely. You know, every I mean, like everything has detail on it, even stuff that you wouldn't ordinarily think would have detail. Right. You know, so he did a fantastic job with the visual effects on his movie. Um, I don't know. It it's just I didn't dislike it, but I really didn't love it either. That's kind of where I'm at with it. And it's just because I it's like a few years ago, there was um, some remakes of some horror movies like and I'm sorry, kids don't watch these. Um, like Friday the 13th, um, they did redid Nightmare on Elm Street. They redid right, Hall- right, right. Right, Halloween. All those characters, when they redid them, they give backgrounds to characters, and that doesn't make me very excited. Yeah, I've been listening to um, a lot of other podcasts lately, um, I'll, um, and friends, and so so if and a lot of people who are true Disney fans are not really thrilled with this movie either. <laughs> um, I, I know one, two people that wrote an article for their, the Diz and got some death threats over their review. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, That's a little extreme. <laughs> it is a little extreme. Well, the Diz is, is known for extremeness. Um, <laughs> sure. But, so, but I know a lot of people in my, in my crowd of friends felt that way. So, why this is and like Todd said, while this is beautiful, I don't think she needed a backstory either. <laughs> I think it was nice having the mystery yeah. of Maleficent. Um but but hey, it's making raking in the money that we need. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, that's the truth. Um, it is unlike, uh, it is unlike, doing like, well. Unlike I'll I'll probably something else, unlike John Carter, which was something that the Disney fans loved. But the general population doesn't get. Yeah. What, oh, Curtis, Lindsay, I'm, I'm curious what you guys thought of 
you know, like the the idea of as Disney fans yourselves, the idea of giving Maleficent a, a backstory and kind of changing the perspective uh, of, of the story. When I walked out of the film, I was a little surprised that Disney would change the story. <laughs> um, I I'm not that much of a purist, or I'm gonna be upset, but I could see like what Cheryl was saying that probably those people. Anytime they change like a ride at Disney World, like when they changed the Mexican ride with all the little characters instead of the traditional way it was before, my wife goes nuts with stuff like that. <laughs> I can understand. I was like, wow. It like, didn't bother me, but I could see it bothering a lot of people. I see. I'm on the total opposite end of all of this. <laughs> I feel like I'm the one person who disagrees. I love a good story. And even though it conflicted with the original story, I felt that it was a whole new way to look at it. And I felt walking out of the theater, I felt like I really enjoyed it and it gave me more to think about. So I enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm kind of in between on this one. Like I, I, I kind of took it away, like, the fact that they changed things around um, and gave her a backstory, like you're saying, Todd, I was okay with that because they were because the movie's titled Maleficent. You know what I mean? And for the purposes of the movie itself, I thought it worked fine. For the purposes of Disney as a whole and the character, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I didn't need any of this information. So, yeah, I mean, like, I feel... I, I'm I'm sort of like in between all of you guys. I feel very conflicted in that like they should be able to make the movie they want to make and tell the story of Maleficent if that's the movie they want to make. I question whether or not it's a good idea to make that movie, but considering that they have $500 million in the box office, like Cheryl said, I'm guessing they probably think it was a good idea. Well, I, yeah. I, I read that they cut a good like 40 minutes of stuff that was like um, Maleficent's parents. Yes! A, a lot of the war stuff was cut. Right. Which, um, did you hear who was supposed to be playing? Um, well, actually, it was I believe it was her aunt and uncle who was supposed to be like the rulers of the uh, the fairy folk. Yeah, it was Miranda Richardson. Was the was yes. it? But do you know and, what else? Like the the and original Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi. I know they filmed Miranda Richardson's scenes and literally cut them. Yeah. Like they filmed every, a whole role that was just dropped. Um, what's interesting is that they were all going to be related. And that was also cut out of the movie. They were all going to be descended from fairy folk. Stefan, Aurora, Maleficent, you know, the fairy, everyone. And they, they yeah. kind of dropped that whole concept. Because Stefan was supposed to be half fairy and half human. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's it, it, There's definitely... Um, and I can understand why they would cut all that stuff because there's definitely a ton of exposition in the very beginning of the movie. Um, in fact, that's that's my complaint is that it, it, probably my biggest complaint about it is that it's a just a giant exposition dump. The first act is, and and that feels that was the that was the only part where I was watching the movie and I was like, I, I, this is kind of dull. And then when it got to um, when it gets later on in the film to Angelina Jolie and Elle Fanning, like their interactions I thought were just fantastic throughout. And so like from there it kind of picks up, but I understand what the filmmakers were trying to do. They were trying to create a, a story for her uh, and, and something to do. And I think a lot of that is due to Angelina Jolie 
um, if you want to talk about the production of the film for just a brief minute before we get into it. She uh, has loved the character of Maleficent since she was a little girl and she watched Sleeping Beauty. And it was actually her insistence that um, in the throne room scene that things go line for line and because she just she wanted to be the character. And th they started developing this with her shortly after the, the Depp Alice in Wonderland in 2010. So, I mean, it was it's, it's something that, I mean, if you listen to film or Disney podcast or, or, you know, read news sites, that sort of thing, like this has been floating around for a long, long time to the point that when I finally saw the first trailer, I was like, oh, they finally made it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was also reading that uh, she also fought hard against Disney on a number of things. Yes. During the production, because she signed on to be an executive producer of the film, which kind of gives her a little bit of leeway in getting what she wants. That's always a, when you're rich enough and you can do that in your actor. It's a good thing. Um, she they wanted to make uh, Maleficent not look like Maleficent at all in Sleeping Beauty. And right. she fought hard just to get the horns kept in. Obviously, they kept Jolie's facial structure and look. They didn't give the big chin and stuff like that. Right, that's what Maleficent in the animated is most famous for, right, is her chin. <laughs> Though they did, they did alter her nose. I mean, like, as far as they used prosthetics to elongate her nose. I think her cheeks were a little pointy, too. <laughs> I, I thought that was just the way they painted the makeup onto her. <laughs> right? I don't know, they, but I, I, I'm with Curtis. They look, they look rather pointed. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought they just kind of point, painted that sallowness into her face so it looked like her cheekbones were way more defined than they actually are. Yeah, I will say, ha having seen Angelina Jolie recently at a premiere, like in person, she's she's very thin right now, and I don't know, like especially in her face, I don't know if that was an intentional decision that she made for this movie or how long they've been wrapped on it, but I will say that her face still very much, like her cheekbones are right there, so... Well, they shot this basically it started around this around mid June in 2012, um, and spent almost a year in post production. Um, so, I mean, like this movie's been they they've had this movie in the can for quite some time actually, um, mm -hmm. and they they moved the release date around a few times. Um, it was it, it this was if you remember the last film she made, and again not suitable for for younger listeners is The Tourist with Johnny Depp. Um, that came out in the summer of 2010, and this was intended to be the next movie that she did. But because of all that production stuff uh, that, that Todd was talking about, where she fought back and forth with them, um, they brought in uh, a, somebody to do a polish on Linda Wolverton's script, uh, Paul Dini, who you may know from all the from Batman the Animated Series. He was the one of the co-creators of that. Um, he came in and did a polish on the script. Um, she, you know, the, the whole thing about her being executive producer, um, Joe Roth, who was originally the producer, uh, he, he moved, he's, his company left Disney. I mean, like there was a whole thing where basically every important player in the movie had to move around to different pieces of the studio and you know, all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, it was in development for almost two years before the, the they actually started shooting film, which is not a long time by Hollywood standards, but it's it, it, it for some for a Disney film of this magnitude, they tend to move a little bit quicker than that. Yes. Yeah, she, she had almost as many uh, rewrites as uh, George Lucas did. 
for his movies. Wow. George Lucas is, Lucas is famous for just writing and writing, and writing. Not not literally though. She had she said in an interview she had fifteen scripts that she did for this. So it's a lot. It it most definitely is most definitely, yeah. And it and like we said, um, it, it, the the end result is uh, is Bafo box office Lenny. Um, if I may quote Muppets Take Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe she it, needs to be in the next Muppets movie. That, maybe that's that's not a bad idea. Uh, that would get that would get that would that may help their box office, right? Well, I mean, like it's it, it won its opening weekend. It made uh, almost seventy uh, million dollars the opening weekend. It's it didn't it hasn't had that huge huge drop like it only dropped fifty percent. Most blockbusters are dropping like sixty to seventy percent. After their opening weekend, I mean, it's up to 185 million dollars domestic, 500 million worldwide um, at the time we talk about this. Easily going to cross probably 600 million worldwide on a budget of 180 million, which we can talk about um, was an insane budget. I but, don't know why they're doing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly right, man. I mean, it's you know they're not going to stop or keep making money, right? I think they're not going to make a sequel to this, but like you know, the Kenneth Branagh directed Cinderella is coming up next March. You know, we've got like I said, Little Mermaid is out there. There's there's lots of others that are going to be hot on the heels of this, um, of live action versions of of the the Disney animated classics. Uh, I, I'm not really sure how I feel about that. I've seen a live action Cinderella one. Yeah, that's. Well, Not Disney, though. It wasn't Disney, though, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was from a long time ago. The 90s. Right. Yeah. Oh, 90s? Okay. Well, that's pretty long. That's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. <laughs> I wonder, though, and I'm going to say this, if they sunk some money into animation and and instead gave us new new like, new like classic animation, like, like Princess and the Frog Tangled. Right. You know, if that... If 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 there, I wonder if, it, if this is an if it were situation, then then if an and. I'd like to see it do part, like do them if they're gonna keep doing this. Give us a new anime movie with a twist on maybe a, I don't know. We always talk about the terrible twos, but maybe we need like a Cinderella five or something with Cinderella's daughter or something like that. I don't know. I believe we're up to Cinderella seventy-seven right now. But, you know what I'm saying? Give, give, give the, give us as well. If you're going to give us an an a non-animated thing, give us an animated thing that we can also latch onto as well. Well, yeah. they're they're trying to do that. I I think that one of the things they want to do with the animation as well. There's a lot of 3D stuff coming on. You know, computer CGI animated. With things like Paperman and stuff like that that were also technically CGI, but they were hand-drawn CGI, it's kind of a tricky, slippery slope, but it's a thing, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I think that if they could do that for less, they would go that way. The problem is, is stuff that they're putting out that's the 3D modeling and stuff like that actually ends up being easier than the stuff that's not when they're doing the computers, and because everything is computer-driven. Yeah. It, it, that's that's where they are right now. They're in this phase where they're kind of stuck to what they've got until they can find a way to make what they what fans say they want. 
work a little bit cheaper for them. I, I that's just how I feel about it. No, you're you're absolutely right because the the thing is like a Pixar film or a Frozen costs them 150 to 160, 175, sometimes up to 200 million dollars to make. And I think right or wrong, the thought process within those four walls at Disney is if I'm going to spend 150 plus million, give me an Angelina Jolie that I can sell to the public as opposed to an unfamiliar concept in something like Frozen uh, where I have to rely so much upon word of mouth to sell the movie. Now, Frozen's going to make double or triple the money that Maleficent made, but I can understand it as somebody who does have to go do marketing. That's what I do in my day job. Uh, I can understand the thought process. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I understand where it's coming from. Right, proven versus unproven. It's easy to pick actors and actresses who are well-known visibly as opposed to audibly. My, right. my right. thing is um, a, lot of, a lot of times we talk about the merchandise connection to stuff, and I have to say I really did not hitch with any of the merchandise that I saw at, um, it was in the Magic Kingdom in the Emporium. For Maleficent, you mean? For Maleficent. Yeah. A lot of it, a lot of it is actually retread. Yeah. Like the horns and stuff, that's all stuff that's been at Disney parks before in the past. That's, I mean, granted, not ones that you flick a switch and they make multicolors, but okay, her horns don't do that anyway, so. Yeah, and and I think I, I I agree with you, Cheryl. I think like it's going to be easier for them to sell. I mean, clearly the the Frozen phenomenon. It's going to be easier to sell stuff off original stories that people have never seen before, and to your point, Todd, have never had the chance to buy before. But again, like there's just that fear of trying something new. That's and that's not just a Disney phenomenon. We've talked about that on this show before. Of the fact that you know half the movies we see these days are sequels or yeah. uh, based off things that people already know, kind of a thing. So that's a that's a business yeah. phenomenon, anyway. Yeah, I do. I do think uh, you guys were talking earlier about the necessity of telling this story. You know that it's like, well, do we even need to know the story of Maleficent? Will that take away the mystery of it? <laughs> And I actually come out on the side of, I, I see your point, and I think that if they hadn't made the movie that they did here, I would kind of feel the same way. But with what you were saying, Ryan, about known properties and everything, the type of story that they're telling here and the type of really, like, like feminist ideas that they're getting into, yeah. like, using a story like and a character like Maleficent that's so well-known, that's the only way they could have really told this story at this time, um, especially at Disney. I mean, when you think about some of the things that go on in this movie, right. I mean, I can't imagine them having approached any of these ideas with original characters. You're absolutely right. Um, and, and that's probably as good a segue as any to start talking about the plot of the film, because... When you, see, when you said feminist ideals, I was like, yes, that's exactly right, because there's all kinds of things in the film where they're talking about things like that. And like Angelina Jolie talks about it in a, a lot of interviews about what she was trying to accomplish in working on the film. So let, let's, let's set up kind of the way the film goes. Like I, like I said before, um, the first act is really exposition, telling that backstory of Maleficent up until the point that we meet her in – the animated Sleeping Beauty. So if you've seen if you've seen Sleeping Beauty the animated film, and I would assume you know most of you listening have, 
then you know basically the the last or you you know the second act of the film or at least part of it um but the first act is is told by a narrator uh narrating the story of maleficent and the the world that she inherits so the setup is that there's two kingdoms um one for the humans ruled by king henry and the other which is the moors um is where the fairies lived and maleficent was I don't know if you'd call her the the queen, uh, but she it 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 was sort of like a, to quote Monty Python and the Holy Grail, an anarcho syndicalist commune. There wasn't a queen; they just all kind of grouped together, right? That's that's that was the feeling I got at the beginning. <laughs> she was like the protector, the, like the guard dog. She was their yep. Batman. Mm-hmm. She was their Batman. I like that. So the the whole story kicks off the the inciting incident if you will is when a, a, a little boy named Stefan comes in um, he had stolen something from the humans and was trying to hide and the as he walks in um, these giant tree people um, the ants from Lord of the Rings or Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy I, I think making cameos in this <laughs> um, stop him and Maleficent you know sees what he's up to uh, they stop him because he'd stolen this gem. Uh, Maleficent stops him, uh, gets him to toss it in the water, uh, and they start talking to each other and to become friends. Um, this is probably I had the most trouble with because it's sort of like they they have a night. Those two actors, the the young version of Maleficent, who's played by Jolie's daughter, and the young Stefan. They have a nice chemistry, and they talk for a little while, and then everything else is told in narration. Like, and they were happy, and they fell in love, and they kissed when they were 16. <laughs> All of a sudden. Right. <laughs> did anybody else have that problem? No, I, I, had, I did. Agree. Here's, a, here's an also funny thing. If you think about it, you never actually see the sun rise except that very first scene in the beginning. Other than that, most of the scenes the sun is setting. Oh, that's true. I didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, but it, it, this is where I feel like uh, you, you got Todd and, and uh, Rachel were talking about how they had they had cut out this other, you know, the the uncles and the aunts and that sort of thing. And I understand that because it's extraneous to this to the core story of Stefan and Maleficent. But it's it's also. It doesn't match, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't match the rest of the film, I, I feel like, this portion. Because, I mean, just the the way it's told in, like, bits and pieces and the quick aging and all that stuff? Well, and, and the narration, right? Like, because there's very little, to, if any, narration for the second and third act. Yeah. Well, the it's very part is all basic. narration. Right, it's it's when you when you think about all the we've talked about this before. When you talk think about the classic Disney tales, right? They always all put with the storybook, right, right, and the narration. Yeah. And I granted it's it's longer than what you typically get in the animated movies, but I think that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean the notion that they're going for here is pretty simple. I mean it's first love. Right. It's young love. Just about everybody knows, you know, what that's about. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, he's the only guy that she knows, really, it seems like. The only human guy that she knows, and he's interested in her. So, 
There you I go. I just can't seem to meet anyone who is not a tree. <laughs> He's classically <laughs> handsome. <laughs> I'm just saying I think Groot would have been a better, uh, a better choice. <laughs> At least it makes you feel good about the animation for Groot. We're gonna get it, it, it really does. It really does. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, and then we have to say, like, the opening pieces of this, like, when Maleficent's flying around the fairy realm are gorgeous. Yeah, the whole movie is visual, just great visual art. End to end. It's all is. I mean, everything is perfectly set. You know, like I said, there's there's this detail everywhere where normally it's a lot of CGI movies will skimp and they'll only put the detail where they know the people are going to be looking, right? Right. But now this, it's all over the place, so it's really yeah. well done. From what I read, uh, the director actually had a hand in doing a lot of the character designs, like he was right there alongside them with like his own sketches and everything. So he. W- I, I mean, his background in visual effects definitely helped here. And honestly, this is the closest that we're ever going to get to what looks like a live-action Miyazaki movie. Oh, that's a good, yeah, that's a good comparison. Especially, yeah. like, the, the flying creatures that look like fish that move through the air like they're, they're fish in water. That's immediately what came to mind. Uh, yeah. yeah the, all, all his ghosts and stuff, yeah. So I, 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 but I have to say, I heard Lindsay chime in there when I said that uh, the love story kind of got told a little, a little, a little quickly. Um, it sounded like you, you were in agreement there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I felt like um, I felt the whole movie was a little bit rushed. I would have liked to hear a little bit more detail. I felt like the movie ended so suddenly and it was done, and just like just starting with that first love scene, it was like, oh, okay, they're in love, like magic. <laughs> And I would have liked to see a little bit more of it developed, like you said. Yeah, it wasn't very intense either. No, like you said, it was um, narrated a lot rather than shown. Yeah, well, yeah. I think it goes to what Rachel was saying, right? As Rachel was, made the point about this being the first love and the young love. And the truth of the matter is is that her real love was actually Aurora, not in a, you know, in a sexual way or anything like that, but that's who her true love was in life, was Aurora, the girl that she curses and then saves. Sorry, I know I jumped ahead there. It's not Stefan, and that's what she comes to realize. Yeah, mm-hmm. Stefan is much more like a girl, like a girlhood, like infatuation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's well, true. and and like the part that the part that bothered me, I think, is not so much. I mean, I could accept the the fact that they fell in love, that kind of a thing. It's it's sort of the next little bit that that doesn't. There's there's a lot of story there that that gets skipped over, which is. Um, Stefan quits visiting her, and then the king comes to attack the Moors. We're not really given a a reason why he wants to attack the Moors other than they're different or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, there's not really a a reason why he does that. We don't really know why Stefan quit coming um and we get this nice battle scene between the, the 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 fairy warriors and the king and maleficent flapping her wings and and knocking people over but that Actually, scene doesn't really add anything to me there there was a there was a line of narration right before uh the battle and everything happened before they showed up at the moors saying they were going to conquer it the reason why he was showing up to conquer was because they said that 
they had heard that there was a rising power in the Moors, which was Maleficent. The fact that she had grown into being such a powerful fairy and, you know, a powerful woman. Ah, and gotcha. literally okay. his, he is bringing his army to quash her and anyone else who would think to, you know, to follow suit, I guess. So... I think I just missed that, but I, I get that. Yeah, it's that. it's okay. very it's very much like it's just like right there in the narration. Like if it weren't for the fact that I just watched it, I would have probably, you know, forgotten about it. So Yeah, well okay, that makes a little more sense, but but still like I don't know that that like that battle is really fun to watch, but like I was saying, I don't know what it adds to the story because the story is about her and Stefan. The conflict between her and between the human world and the fairy world is supposed to set up, I guess, that Romeo and Juliet sort of feeling at this part of the film, which becomes something quite different, you know, very shortly. Yeah. I don't know. It's just it's it's almost like there's there. It's almost like the story was going one way and then they decided to put a different story in at a certain point, if that makes sense, which, you know, 15 scripts, I guess that'll happen. Yeah, I I don't argue with you there. I really <laughs> uh, but, but we get this big battle, and um, the king is injured against Maleficent. And when we get back to the castle, and the king's laying on his deathbed, he says that um, you know whoever goes and kills Maleficent uh, will become the new king and will marry his daughter and and rule the land. And so we see Stefan. Um, who's in, in the, the bedchamber, and then he goes to find Maleficent, and, it, and I have to say, in a very well-executed um, and very creepy scene, uh, convinces her to drink something that he put together. Uh, he hesitates before he was going to kill her, but instead uh, cuts off her wings and presents them to the king, which makes him the new king. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it seem like he killed her. Yes. Yeah, he fakes it. I mean, there's a lot of commentary on this scene. Yes. Uh, as, well, as well there should be, because yeah. it's cool. A mean, lot of people say yeah, a lot of people say it's it's, you know, a metaphor for rape. There's you know, date rape, yeah. that whole thing built into it. Well, Angelina Jolie says that. Oh, does yeah. she? Yeah. I yeah, didn't read her did. saying it, I read enough other people saying it. Yeah, yeah, someone I, asked her in, a, in an interview directly if it was, and she said, yes, that was intentional. I, I guess. I just kind of sort of feel like sometimes you cut off wings and you're just cutting off wings. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, Honestly, I mean, I, I can see where somebody was trying to say that. I, I the thing just, is, like, the, the whole scene is framed around that, though. The whole thing of him get, slipping something into her drink to, you know, like, making sh- sure that she feels comfortable and safe and then literally violating her body. So it's 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 all there, you know. Like, an older audience members are going to pick up on it, I think. Yeah, it, that was literally the first thought I had when seeing it was, oh, that's what we're going to do then, you know. Because I was with my kids, and obviously they didn't they didn't pick up on that that framing. But but yeah, that was exactly what I thought, Rachel. Just like you're saying, like oh, he slipped her, he slipped something into her drink, and now he's he's violating her. And yeah, it was it made me very uncomfortable. But I think that was the idea, right? 
Yeah. Well, the uh, the reviewer who um, who is now in charge of Roger Ebert's site um, that that posts a lot of the reviews all over on there, her review of it, she said, I think that this scene is one of the single most distressing scenes I've seen in a movie. Her reaction when she wakes up and everything. Yeah. I, that I've seen in quite a while. Yeah, I I was definitely uh, concerned because I mean, like she wakes up and you know screams. Um, she has to create a, a a staff to help her walk, um, and this is when she starts growing into this darkened creature. Right? She she starts um, hiding. Um, she finds her her new servant Diaval the bird. Um, she a farmer has captured the bird and. She turns the the bird into a man, and, and he goes back and forth for the rest of the movie, which I thought was kind of a cool little trick. I liked that. Yeah, it was it was interesting that he couldn't transform herself. She always had to transform him. Yeah. Yeah, which again, pr- like, uh, plays on something that Jolie actually touched on in an interview. She said because people that have been victims of violent things like this that they tend to then vic- like go on and bully or torment other people and right. that's how that just continues going and it's like her basically saying well I'm just going to change you into whatever I need at whatever time I want is once again her you know <laughs> that's the that's the aftermath of this thing that has happened to her and how it has changed her personally oh, the, con- the concept of regaining control yeah I guess mm-hmm. yeah well, and she she sends him. She turns him into a bird. Sends him off to find Stefan, and he comes back and tells her, you know, that he's now the king, and um, he's got a new woman as his queen. And that's when she becomes the Maleficent that we know from Sleeping Beauty with the long black robes, and she creates a throne. Like I said at the beginning of the movie, she it was more of she was the protector, and she was you know it was there was no ruler of the fairy realm, and now. Um, she has set herself up as the ruler, created a throne, and uh, she's now the the, the evil queen uh, that love from the, from the animated film. But it takes that that whole first act kind of goes through there where it, it's odd because it's 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 very much story by rushing through the plot points as opposed to letting the actors convey things other than that other than the wing scene where you know Angelina Jolie really does convey the emotion of that scene the rest of it is sort of let's hit this beat 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 so that we can get to the throne room scene from Sleeping Beauty well this this is what confused me Okay, so the scene where she's walking back into the moors and everything is going dark around her and she's walking up to her throne, I kind of expected from there there on out for the moors to be kind of this darker fantasy world. But then they cut to like the next day and it's literally right back to the way that it was before. And it's all bright and colorful and everything. Um, Which was something that I was like, okay, that doesn't quite follow, but... (laughs) Well, I think that's that's probably the biggest issue with the whole film is like there's not a lot of consistency like like Stefan that we meet at the beginning of the film and then Stefan who is willing to cut her wings off don't seem like the same person and Stefan who becomes totally insane right 
Um, definitely does not seem like the same person. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, he's kind of he is the least developed of all the characters. I think of all the the major characters in the movie. Um, Once he grows up, the... he shows no emotion. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's. I think that's the thing is like. I, I I was okay with the flipping of the story so that Maleficent is the hero, quote unquote, and Stefan the villain. I, I didn't really have a problem with that in the in the consideration of the story they're telling. The problem is there's every reason for Maleficent to be the bad the good guy and no reason for Stefan to be the bad guy. Like we don't we, we aren't shown that Stefan has this ambition to be king. He just shows up. Yeah, the only thing we're told by the narration is that 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 race in general had start, started to seek power. Um, well, in the narration of some type, and that's the only thing I I picked up from that. Well, when he's a kid, he literally points at the castle and says, "I'm going to live there someday." <laughs> to Maleficent, like this is probably the most character development that Stefan gets in the movie. He points right. to the castle, says, "I'm going to live there someday," and she says, "Well, where do you live now?" "I live in a barn." "Well, where are your parents?" I'm an orphan. There you go. <laughs> I'm an orphan too. Let's hang out. <laughs> that's that's kind of his character right there. He ha- he kind of has no one in the world. He stops visiting Maleficent. It, all he has really left is ambition. And unfortunately, they don't really do much past that. Yeah. I don't know. Curtis and Lindsay, I, I, I want to hear what you guys think about Stefan and his, his change throughout the film. You know, I'm almost thinking like as you guys are talking, looks like today's movies don't have a lot of character development. It's all about the special effects and the <laughs> and <true>. the bling. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Stefan kind of got left in the dust of all the, um, other like Maleficent's character and just all those effects. <laughs> <laughs> he was um, what do you call it? A plot device. Sort of thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's that's true. You make a great point, though, about about modern movies is once they spend a certain amount on a special effects budget, it becomes a special effects budget rather than the story. Yeah, they got to be careful. I'll I'll point you to the Transformers movies. Yeah. (laughs) Lots of action. Lots of bling. Yeah. That's that's probably what kids want today, (laughs) too. But it's sad when you're making spending that much money on a movie and the animated movie made 30 years ago is still better. Right. <laughs> I will. Uh, I will. For this exact thing that we're talking about, there's a book out uh, now that I just finished called Sleepless in Hollywood, which actually explains a lot of this. Um, that it, basically a lot of what's going on is because uh, of foreign markets. Foreign markets respond really well to the. They, you know, Chinese filmmakers don't make huge special effects movies, but Chinese filmgoers eat them up. You know, and the same thing in Russia, and the same thing in, in in other markets, and so the only place where they can make these huge, you know, special effects films is in the United States. And so, considering the fact that seventy percent of uh, a film's revenue these days is coming from overseas, that's uh, that's what they make. They make what those guys want to see. Yeah, there was a time when Hollywood ruled because the films were shown primarily in the U.S. and Britain and France, and now they're shown all over the world, and well, the rest of the world is bigger than that. I will say, to be fair to Maleficent, um, I think that 
for one, this wasn't as clear of a bet as something like Transformers, which is just, you yes. know, a license to print money. Um, like, if you read a lot of the commentary leading up to it, they thought that this actually wouldn't do that well because it's so dark. Because it falls in that weird category of being a movie that's that's aimed at women. It's very dark, but it's also PG. So it's maybe not, maybe older crowds will look at it and say, well, it's Disney. So I don't know if I want to you know, go see some kiddie movie, but at the same time is too grown up for the younger kids. So right. a lot of people going in thought this was going to be, this was going to be a John Carter situation that it just never found its audience. Um, and two, I think as opposed to Transformers, I, I do think that this is tackling some things that are a bit more heady than anything that's really addressed in the Transformers right. movies. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think I think as as much as we're kind of taking issue with so far the, with the first act, I actually really enjoy the second and the third act and the way that they 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 did it. And it's trying to be it, it is it has depth to it, um, even though it is short. Um, and I was one of the ones though that was thinking going in that like this could be a huge disaster for Disney because, and I, and I still say 180 million dollars for what? That's way too much money. Like, and there was, like, I, the CG was really great to look at, but we didn't need 700 animated fairy characters in the fairy realm. We could have gotten by with 100. You know what I'm saying? Oh. Like, <laughs> are we going to talk about the fairies and their animation? Because, and their names. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, go ahead. Well, we, I guess we, let's let's introduce them and then do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we're 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 basically in where we had just left off was we're about to the scene of of what everyone knows from the Sleeping Beauty film, which is the queen gives birth to a daughter named Aurora. Um, there's a big party at the castle. Um, what they set up in this film that is different than Sleeping Beauty is that you know they have this big christening party. And then the fairies um, in here, known as Knotgrass, Thistlewit, and Flittle, uh, are there to demonstrate peace between the fairy realm and the human realm. Whereas in the in the original film, there was no peace to demonstrate; it just existed. Yeah. But it's it's this scene. The scene is almost line for line from Sleeping Beauty. It's you know them blessing her with beauty, blessing her with uh, grace, uh, and they're about to present the, her third gift, and then that's when Maleficent shows up, curses the princess to fall into a sleep-like death um, when she pricks her finger on the spinning wheel, uh, the spindle of a spinning wheel on her 16th birthday. Um, the only difference here is in the film, in the animated film, it's uh, the, the fairy who says that the Curse could be lifted by love's uh, true love's kiss. In the film, uh, it is Maleficent who decides that only true love's kiss can lift it, um, and she also utters the line which she will come to regret: that no power on earth can change it. Also, she does that after after Stefan begs her. Yes, he force she forces him to beg her, which again made me quite uncomfortable. But I think that was the idea. Now, you wanted to talk about the fairies there, Rachel. Yeah. Um, how did people feel about the animation of the fairies, first off, before before talking about the method that they used for animating them? Hmm. I did want to say that 
I kind of sort of feel the the versions that are from the original animated movie, Flora Fauna and Meriwether, are actually much more competent than these women. I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I might have referred to them in my notes as herpy, derpy, and herpy derp. Um, <laughs> because <laughs> these three just... Um, the moment, the time when they tried to feed her spiders, I mean... <laughs> Like just just some of the things that they do in trying to raise her, I mean, come on. I, I can't believe they were that dumb. Yeah, I do have to say it was it was good to see Emilda Staunton, uh, uh, Umbridge herself, uh, showing up as one of the fairies. <laughs> um, it was it was strange seeing her acting so nice, um, despite being completely incompetent. So nice yet still bossy. Yes. <laughs> Also, yes. I I really hate, and I'm going along with one of my favorite podcasts, um, the hipsters. I really hate the fact that they changed the names. I I would agree with that. There was I, no was, way, no need to change names. To, yeah, to names unless they were going to be sued. Yeah, it, it's to names that aren't memorable, right? That's that's the other half of it. There's nothing about the three names that are memorable. You, I, every time I remember them, I have to have them written down somewhere. <laughs> Right. And it took me a while to take the colors and match them up the right way as well. <laughs> so that was the other thing. Cause I, I couldn't tell which one was which because the colors were not as obvious as they should as they could have been. I, I won't say should have been, but could have been. Um, but you can talk about the animation now. Yeah, they used um, the same sort of animation that was also used on uh, Avatar that is the very, like, basically facial capture work where they are taking like every taking pictures of every single part of their face and uh, and putting it together and so you get this very highly detailed uh CGI animation but the problem is that as usually happens with these things it kind of falls into the uncanny valley because these are actors that you really you know recognize um, like uh, Juno Temple is, has been in quite a few things. Imelda Staunton, obviously recognizable. Um, so it just threw me off whenever they were in their fairy state. Like their faces just looked really strange to me. Now, you know, did you read about how the flying was done? No, I didn't. Oh, okay, so the flying uh, was rope and harness work that was for capturing, and it was uh, actually coordinated by Cirque du Soleil. Oh, so, this should uh, not surprise me. They they went to some interesting vendors with with this movie. I don't know if you read much about the costuming for this, but um, needless to say, they they went they ended up going to uh, some people that deal it a lot in leather. They don't usually do work for movies. There's a lot of snakeskin in this movie. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yeah. The uh, the horns are actually made of python skin and fish skin, and oh, they fun. ended up. They had uh, actually six different headpieces that re- that represented uh, different seasons in the movie. Yeah, and, and the one that they used for close-up shots, I guess, was so heavy that that's why she like doesn't move when they do the close-up shots because basically her neck got would get hurt, you know, get in pain from it wearing it. Yeah, and there were some that they that they made early on that they just said we can't use this material because if she would bump into anything, they would just shatter. <laughs> I'm not surprised at the Cirque du Soleil um, aspect, because um, Disney already has that relationship. 
They do, so, yes. So um, maybe so that that didn't, that didn't surprise me when you guys said it because you know there's this big relationship with them already. So I'm not, you know, I wasn't surprised that it happened earlier. How's that? Well, also if, if if any group on Earth gives the appearance of flying when they're doing their act, it's it's the people of Cirque du Soleil. So more power to them for doing it. So. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, yeah, I, I I didn't care for the the, the fairies in the film uh, mainly because uh, I had watched the animated film. Uh, I guess I watched the animated film on Thursday, and then we went to see the uh, uh, went to see the movie on Saturday, and it was just like the the performance of the flora fauna and Meriwether from the animated movie were so stuck in my brain that I'm watching this going there and there and what. They're what? They're who? And then, like you said, Todd, they're even more incompetent than uh, the ones in the animated film, which is tough. Yeah, I'm a big fan of um Sophia. I think your daughter is as well, Ryan. <laughs> she was, yes. Um. So and, and so even though even the ones in Sophia remind me more of the original ones than, than these ones did. Right. Uh, three Stooges. Oh yeah, you're right, Curtis. It's it's very Three Stooges. Only no. the Stooges were more competent. Actually, I was going to say that Mo, Larry, and Curly are far more competent than these three. They had a they had a short where they took care of a baby. Remember, they found a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Three Stooges. So oh, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, why wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, just like in the animated film, Stefan takes all the spinning wheels and uh, locks them away, burns them. Uh, the fairies uh, come to him and take the baby, uh, you know, propose to take the baby into hiding. They take her uh, into the woods and pose as her her aunts, again, just like the animated film. The difference here is what we see now through the entirety of the second act is that, whereas in the animated film, she was being taken care of by the fairies. They're there, but it's actually Maleficent who's following the baby around. And Basically, rescuing her from the fairies would be the best way to say it. <laughs> Keeping yep. the baby alive. She does rescue him one time. Yeah. Yeah. Hold For on. real. Also, like, I love that, like, it's like the first or second night, and the baby just hasn't stopped crying, and she's finally, like, just, like, gives it basically the equivalent of a baby bottle, and it's, or a, a pacifier, and it quiets down. Yes. Yeah, it's it's so weird because it's it's a whole thing of like you know she she does that she rescues the baby from wandering over a cliff. Um, she still calls the baby beastie though, which I really <laughs> adore. <laughs> yeah, um, this uh, artist I actually follow online, uh, Noel Stevenson, took a couple of stills from the movie and captioned it with that one time Maleficent accidentally adopted a baby. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Well, is this part of the story? So, because the the fairies are such a bad parenting that the baby almost starved on the first yeah, night. So Maleficent right. builds this uh, relationship because she has to. <laughs> she wants a lot of loser. Well, she wants her she wants her revenge, and for some reason, instead of just yeah. killing the child outright, she wants it to wait sixteen years and then have the revenge. <laughs> I, that's honestly, that's really the ever ever the only problem with Sleeping Beauty in general. It's like why wait sixteen years? 
You got magic. Use it. Yeah, these villains think they're smart playing the long game, but no. What can go wrong in 16 years? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Stefan has 16 years to plan, and his plan was actually a decent plan. For all we've said about Stefan so far, he had he had tons and tons of good plans to catch her and do do her in at the end. So it's true. He did. He he. I think Stefan uh, had a good strategy, but was incompetent. And whereas Maleficent was very competent, but had a bad strategy. Wow! And see, they were a good couple. They fit each other's <laughs> points. <laughs> Would have made a great couple. <laughs> In a different time, in a different place. <laughs> but yeah, so about halfway through the film, uh, Aurora grows up. Uh, she turns 15, and she finally comes to... She sees Maleficent, and uh, the, the funniest part of the whole movie is when she says, I know who you are, you're my fairy godmother. I think nobody stopped laughing for about two straight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Aurora... <laughs> She's so gullible. She's innocent. Innocent, right. Yeah, there's not a lot of intelligence in that bloodline, I think is what we're saying. <laughs> well, she was raised by the fairies, so I mean. <laughs> there is, that's where she got her intelligence from, yeah. from her mother's. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She really doesn't, honestly, it doesn't really, but she really doesn't wise up until that point where she actually goes to meet Stefan and he throws her in her room. In her room. Yeah. Right, and if that that suddenly Aurora's like a whole different person after that moment. <laughs> it's true, yeah, she does wise up a little bit, but they they build this whole relationship of going back and forth, and I think, like I said, it, you know, earlier on, I think the the chemistry between her, between Elle Fanning and uh, and uh, Angelina Jolie is really great, um, and and precisely because Fanning is playing that sort of doe-eyed innocent, and Angelina's obviously not she's playing that more you know wicked sort of uh snarky evil way like like evil but not quite evil i guess is yeah you know what it reminds me of is do you remember when we reviewed um the tron movie the second there i can't remember the name of it right now tron, tron legacy. legacy legacy thank you and we were talking about how the best moments of that film were actually when jeff bridges and the guy who played his son were talking as their characters yes Right, it, it's the same kind of thing, right? Is is these are the best moments of the movie? Is these little times that they get together and do their their interplay? I, I think it's a good time to talk about the performances of these, especially these two characters. Yes, sure. I mean, Maleficent. I'll just say, I, I mean, I thought it was amazing. I thought she did a great job, and I'm not a big Jolie fan. Same and here. I didn't know the the little girl there, but I thought she was great too. And you're talking about the relationship between the two, where you, those uh, performances shine. The chemistry was phenomenal. Yeah, I yeah. thought I mean, that that stands out for me in the film. Those those two characters. Mm. I really yeah, haven't I, seen Major League movies, but um, I I would I I didn't know it was um Dakota Fanning's younger sister apparently. So, but I was after finding out it, it's obvious acting runs in that family, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, well, the last thing I remember seeing her in was Super 8. And I know she's done a lot of stuff since then that I haven't seen, but I loved her in Super 8. I thought she was great. And, in fact, maybe even shows more talent, natural talent at acting than her sister. 
she was perfect for this. I mean, she was adorable. <laughs> you know, yeah. she, was play, she was playing that innocent um, character at the start, like you were saying. I mean, then, then she has that turn where she gets a little smarter, but it, she was totally believable. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I have to agree with you. I mean, that was one thing. The the very first thing walking out of that movie, and I'm not a huge Angelina Jolie fan, like you said, uh, but when I walked out, I was like, wow, she just inhabited that role. I know for such a famous and well-known actor, I felt like a, f- a few mo- a few moments in the movie, I felt like I wasn't watching Angelina Jolie. I was watching Maleficent on the screen. It wasn't her. It was the character. Just 100%. Yeah, it's probably tough for someone who's famous. Who's so famous. Well, okay, so the comparison I got to make then, what about her performance compared to Captain Jack? <laughs> Do you forget? <laughs> is, is uh, yeah, so what's his name that does Captain Jack? Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, Depp, Depp so what's the did she do as good a job? I mean, everyone loved the, the, the way Johnny Depp portrayed. Captain well, are we talking? Are we talking movie number one, or are we talking movie number four, Johnny Depp? <laughs> yeah, because that makes a big difference. <laughs> I'll, yes. I'll say with one. <laughs> if we're talking number one, no, she's not in anywhere near Johnny Depp. Agreed. She, I mean, first of all, not not only they, first of all they both designed their own look, right? And she yes. kept herself looking like herself. Because of problems that she was having, Johnny Depp just like became something that he is not. <laughs> what well, I would compare it to is um, Johnny Depp as um, the Hatter in um, in Alice in Wonderland. Ah, yeah, could be. I, I was I was waiting for Todd to make the point of uh, if we compare it to Johnny Depp in Pirates Four, then yes, I would be. I would say <laughs> it's a little bit better. Uh, yeah. Oh, just a, a heads up, actually, about uh, Jolie's look in the film. Uh, Vanity Fair actually has a fantastic rundown of um, as far as every part of her costume from the horns to the makeup, um, the prosthetic that they use for her nose. And this was something that I really liked, a detail that she that Jolie actually came up with, with using um, contacts that were that reflected goat eyes that had horizontal pupils. Oh. And the director actually, I, I believe it was the director or the the uh, makeup person said that um, it was something that she wanted, and it's funny because usually I'm the one pushing per, for prosthetics and weirdness, and it was kind of the reverse on this film. Hmm. Yeah, you normally, the actors don't want that stuff because they don't want to, deal with the makeup and the you know and all that kind of thing it's interesting yeah. well she was whole hawk in the character which we've already said because you know you mentioned earlier that you know this was the role that she wanted you know since she was a kid right but she also performed all her own stunts in this movie there was no oh, wow. stand-in there was no stand-in for her for anything as far as i could tell um you know and also she really uh worked to uh get the inflection of eleanor oddly's voice the original voice actress. The original voice. She said she worked really, really hard at getting the tone and the inflection correct. And I guess her kids picked their favorite laugh. Is the other thing that I read. Yeah, she tried yeah. out a bunch of different ones. Yeah, she said she would do it when they were uh, when she was giving them their evening bath. She would try out different uh, different voices with them. Speaking of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> well, she said that once she found the one that that uh, that she was going with, her kids would actually ask her to do it because it made them laugh. 
that's hard to do to have an iconic laugh from a movie like you know Wizard of Oz or something. <laughs> make it your own. Make also it your make own. Make it sound similar enough for people to remember. She, and I think she nailed it. it though. That's good. Yeah, I liked it. I, I also since we're talking about the relationships and between the characters, uh, the guy who's playing Diaval, I can't remember what his name is because he really hadn't been in that much before this, right? Sam Riley. Yeah, but I gosh, there his interplay with Maleficent Diaval is fantastic because he is like yes. he's he's always just throwing. Remember we just, we just did Popeye, uh, we recorded. I know they're going to be shown out of order, but um, or listened to out of order. But same thing, right? Is when Popeye mutters under his breath, he's kind of muttering all these things under his breath, and then there's that one point she goes, "You know, I can hear you, right?" <laughs> <laughs> well, did anyone else get a Tom Hiddleston vibe from him? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, totally. Well, the robe, I mean, he's like practically wearing a very similar outfit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they they go through this this whole exercise, right, of, of establishing the bond between the two of them. Uh, and as it becomes her 16th birthday, Aurora's, she just tells Maleficent that she needs to... She wants to stay in the moors. She does not want to go back to the castle... Um, she's going to go and move out of the cottage and, and live there with her. Uh, and as she returns home from there, uh, she meets Prince Philip for the first time. And, you know, she's instantly stricken by his, his good looks and charm, uh, even though he is probably as dumb as she is. <laughs> <laughs> Considering he got lost on the way to the castle. <laughs> yeah. Something's wrong with those royal bloodlines. <laughs> well, I just it's it's interesting the 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 extent they went to to make everybody but Maleficent deeply, deeply flawed. Hmm. You know, because because Stefan's Stefan and and his family are dumb as a bag of hammers, um, as is Philip, and then the fairies and everybody else. So like Maleficent is always the smartest one in the room. <laughs> I I think she's up there. Diaval, though, I mean, he ha- he has plenty of moments of insight, though. Uh, they, I think they're they're probably the closest to being equals in the movie intellectually. Yeah, that's probably true. But when the uh, when the crow is your intellectual equal, <laughs> that might be a problem. <laughs> but yes, so and then Diaval says, "Well, hey, you know, uh, true love's first kiss. You know, that's this is this is this has got to be it, right? This is this is the thing. Uh, it's it's got to be the the prince." Um, Maleficent says, "There is no such thing as true love, um, based on her experience with Stefan." And it's not until you know much later when she realizes that the curse might actually take effect that she decides that. You know, there there would be such a thing. So the fairies bring, uh, br- despite Aurora's wishes, they bring her back to the castle. Uh, and King Steph, this is where like Stefan was already a little nuts, but this is where he goes off the rails crazy. Because his daughter returns after sixteen years. And if you, if, again, having watched the animated one right before I saw this, 
his daughter returns in the animated film, and he's called the entire court together to celebrate because he's missed her so much. In this one, he dismisses her, packs her up, and sends her to her, to her room and yells at the fairies because they brought her back on her birthday instead of the day after. And then gets really, really evil. <laughs> yeah. Like crazy, yelling at people, evil. Talking to wings, evil. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> Though granted, I guess they kind of said they kind of set that up already with uh, him refusing to to leave the wings for a night to see his wife, who is apparently dying. Um, <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember exactly when that happens. Obviously, it's before this, but right. um, but like that level of obsession that he has for Maleficent wanting to take her down once and for all. Yeah, it's possible too. The wings were actually talking, and we couldn't just hear it. I, I do. It is a fantasy movie, <laughs> but psst, psst. I don't know, Todd. What what do yours do? Uh, they cook me breakfast. Okay then. Um, yeah, it's just it, it's so off the it's so off the reservation, and the actor uh, it, is it uh, Charlito Copley? Yep. He's so over the top with it that you just kind of go, dude, like like dial it back a notch or seven. <laughs> it's clear he hasn't slept in a very long time. But this is also true. <laughs> Perhaps not in 16 years. I'm unsure. Well, but like you said, as diabolical plans go, it's not the worst one I've ever seen because he, he you know, his whole thing was he had everybody make these suits of iron because iron is fatal to fairies or whatever. Uh, yeah, and net. An iron net. And so as Maleficent comes into the castle, you know, he's able to capture her with the iron net. Now, first there's a lot of other stuff that goes before that. So, but I mean, you know, he's not, he's not wrong with his strategy there. Um, but then we get the, uh, the, the twist, which, uh, my, you know, Maleficent makes her way into the castle and, uh, brings Prince Philip and has her, has him kiss her. Uh, as my daughter said, it's the frozen twist, daddy. (laughs) That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Does not I, I, obviously these, this this was finished well before Frozen hit theaters, so I think it's just one of those everybody's mind was in the same place sort of thing. <laughs> um, but the true love in this movie is like like Todd said earlier about it's it's Maleficent's love for Aurora, not Philip, um, and Philip just sort of rides off like a doofus. Gets a credit. Philip gets the credit. <laughs> <laughs> he does, but. Yeah. yeah, well, think think of it. He, by the end of the movie, he's got to be going, "Wow, I met her in a forest, and now I'm king." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He sort of stumbles into that, doesn't he? Yeah. I well, to be, I think that's what he was being sent there to do. It's very unclear what he was sent there to do. Well, he said his father sent him, so he was probably there to meet his daughter. He didn't know the daughter hadn't been there for sixteen years. It's he true. was crazy, fire, iron, you know, that whole... He didn't know that part. Yeah. 
but yeah, the the big climactic sequence you've probably seen is uh, Maleficent turns Dival into a dragon, and there's a big fight between her and Stefan. Um, Aurora makes her choice and frees the wings, which come back to Maleficent. Um, and there's this big battle between Stefan and Maleficent, and uh, finally. Um, Maleficent overpowers him uh, on the outside, you know, as he's hanging over the edge, and he sort of falls to his death, Gaston style. But before that, they burst through a stained glass window in slow motion. It's amazing. Yeah. It, it, it does happen a lot in these kind of movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, it reminded me a lot of. Um, did any of you see uh, the Johnny Depp, Tim Burton Dark Shadows? Yes, I did not. So. Oh. Okay, so oh, it sounds like you said she did. Um, that movie was very similar structurally to this in that there was a lot of setup at the very beginning, and then there's a second act of Johnny Depp just being funky and weird with everybody and interacting with the characters, which was really cool. And then all of a sudden at the end, there's this giant room on fire for no apparent storytelling reason. It, it's a good thing castles are made of stone. Yeah. Yep. Did you get that? Did you see that, Lindsay? Like, for, you were the one who piped up that you saw that movie, um, yes, which a very I, long time ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I know. I know what you mean. It's like all of a sudden, just things happen, and you're kind of left there, like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, that was that was another of my initial thoughts walking out of the movie. I'm like, wow, this is just like Dark Shadows, and like I enjoyed the middle part of it, and I enjoyed the characters, and then all of a sudden, things are burning. pretty much yeah Uh, but then you know the final piece of the film is uh, Maleficent makes uh, Aurora the queen of both the human and the fairy kingdom uh, and then she you know flies off into the sky uh, to be you know Angelina Jolie with wings yes (laughs) (laughs) I like that ending it makes me happy I, I understand I mean, seriously, think about this ending here. I mean, you end the movie not only not with a wedding, which happens at the end of most of these classic Disney movies. There's no wedding, and it's a woman deciding that she wants to platonically go off into the forest and live with, you know, in harmony with another woman, um, with a bunch of forest creatures, and not live in... not live in a castle. Well, I don't know if she decides that she wants to live in the castle. It's not really made clear. But she said right. earlier that she wanted to live in the moors. So that's what I'm assuming happened. Um, I mean, <laughs> how did this ending happen in a Disney movie? I love it, and it makes me happy, but I don't know how it happened. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I, li- I, I, really, I really like the ending and the, the, the setup for it, too. I thought it was, I thought it was great. You know, with the whole thing you just said about breaking through the stained glass, this is the end of a Batman movie, right? <laughs> Breaks through the stained glass, and then he swings off at the end into the night. Right? Or the Great Muppet with, Keeper. With Robin, right? It's Batman and Robin. Also, um, the one other thing we did discuss, which is something we discussed in um, Little Mermaid 2, is that they stole some of this plot from Little Mermaid 2. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's oh, bringing down the walls. No, that and the 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 girl. <laughs> I think Ryan had said something like that. Like King Triton, and it reminded him of that. 
Mary? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where they basically are tricking the girl into into uh into helping and yeah. Yeah. Is is it's, there's some similarities to it for sure. Yeah. But uh, I I think I think all in all like I um I went into it with the idea of I don't see the need for this story to be told. And I definitely didn't come out of it with that because I, I thought they did it so well in the second and most of the third act. But the the bad way that they flipped Stefan into a villain uh, just left a bad taste in my mouth. And I think it was overcome by the two leads and then what you're saying, Rachel, of like, wow, we can just let these women be women and not have to worry about like, oh, they've got to marry a guy or they've got to have this support from, you know, from Thor. I'm looking at you, Snow White and the Huntsman. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) they can just be who they're going to be. And I I really did like that part of it. But like, why did we have to turn Stefan into a raving lunatic? Yeah, and I think I think there's a very like a few very small things they could have done to just add a little bit of like shades of gray to that character and not make him just a straight up villain. Right. Well, I think I think just giving us like like you had said the 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 notion at the very beginning that uh there's that that he he's an orphan and he wants to live someday in the castle. It's like that's a good start. Now throw in a couple more things between there and him ripping her wings off and you've got something to him yeah his his motivation was low it wasn't well defined well i yeah. think the parks are going to have a real problem if uh they, the plot lines for their movies keep going this way without princesses and princesses falling in love and getting married and <laughs> it's true <laughs> yeah I, I i mentioned that right after we got out of the the, the theater where in the new parade anyone who hasn't seen it they have philip fighting the dragon which i was like wait a second <laughs> they just had a movie come out where they said philip had nothing to do with the dragon well oh, they yeah. could they could never reference this anywhere in magic kingdom because it would be a, such a non-fit oh yeah that's that's the problem it's it's so dark i mean you can't how do you make a take a dark movie and make a dark ride you, you end up with a scary horror ride at that point right well, Absolutely. Well, it's it's sort of like the like the we keep referencing it, but the Johnny Depp Alice in Wonderland. You know, they they tried it and tried and tried for for almost three years now to find a way to put those characters, especially the Depp Mad Hatter, in the parks, and they just can't figure it out. They so haven't found a way yet. Was very popular. Yeah, it was. Um, that's this. This is also the reason why I don't expect, even though it, Disney's Into the Woods is coming out later this year, I don't ever expect that movie to be making any appearances in the parks. <laughs> <laughs> At least it, not any uh, long-term ones. Yeah. Right. Maybe they can add a section into the new Avatar over at Animal Kingdom. <laughs> <It's fabulous>. <laughs> <laughs> And the fairies. No, I've already got a plan for that. If, if Avatar doesn't work out, we're gonna make Ewok Land. That's okay. my plan. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. One really cool thing that I found when I was researching that's really only mildly related to the movie is that in honor of this movie, I guess on June 2nd in the United Kingdom, they released special limited edition Blu-ray covers. Did you read about this? No. Huh? 
Yeah, that in for for all the classic animated films, but with the villain on the cover instead of the hero. So like Peter Pan with Captain Hook, Little Mermaid with Ursula, 101 Dalmatians with Cruella Deville, all on the Blu-ray covers. Oh, cool. Yeah, so look really neat. You should look them up online if you can. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is because uh, I feel like I have to speak out against this for a minute. Okay, is there this dude named Greg Burke? Who wrote this article? Did you read this, Rachel? I'm not sure if I did. Okay, he he was the one that wrote this whole thing about how Disney has this demonic love affair with demons and devils and all things what? evil. Okay, and that this movie just promotes that further. And I'm like, and I'm like, this guy obviously did not watch this movie. That's all I want to say. Okay, because yeah. because this movie is all about taking your villainess and turning her into a hero. Okay. Well, he, he refers to her as an anti-hero. She's not even an anti-hero because he do, he obviously doesn't read comic books enough to know what anti-heroes actually are. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I wrote I, horn, a, I wrote horns that do not a demon make as a response to him. I have a feeling that this was also someone who was calling out the witchcraft in Harry Potter back when that was back when those books were out and people were having book burnings and stuff. But yeah, I. I did not see that, and I'll probably not be seeking it out. Um, I'd, if that stuff happens, if people are saying stuff like that, I'd just rather not know. Yeah. People love to complain about things. If they can find something to complain about, they will. I, I agree with that. I just, I just felt the need to speak out against it, though, because what he wrote was so wrong and far off, it wasn't even funny. Um, and the other thing is we didn't mention it all because it's the only sung song in the movie, but the Lana Del Rey version of Once Upon a Dream. Mm-hmm. Right? Nice and creepy. I just wanted to... The interesting thing was I didn't realize until I researched that Angelina Jolie picked Lana Del Rey herself yep. to sing it. So I just thought it was worth mentioning to tie things mm-hmm. up. Yeah, think- between between this and uh, and her work for Gatsby, I mean... She's kind of becoming the go-to uh, t- person for your for your big songs. For your creepy big songs. Yes. <laughs> oh, and I have a quick correction from earlier. I had said that the reviewer for Roger Ebert's website was a woman. It's actually Matt Zuller Sites. So I just wanted to correct that um, in case anyone wants to look up that review. So. Good to know. All right. Uh, well, then let's let's rate Maleficent uh, on a scale of one to five. We'll let our guests go first. Uh, Curtis, Lindsay, what did you guys think? What would you give it on a scale of one to five? It was entertaining, and I'm going to give it a three. Very good. Um, I'm going to give it. If I can give it a half star, I'll give it a three point five. I did enjoy it. We're pretty close then. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's perfectly fair. I'm I'm right with you guys. I would I would give it a three in that it's. Uh, it's it's right there, you know, on, on average. And uh, I, I have to say, going in, I probably expected it to be a two or a one. So I was very uh, very excited to 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 like it as much as I did um, and give it a three. Uh, what about you, Cheryl? Well, I'm bro- I'm gonna be getting the hate mail <laughs> because I am I'm only giving this a two. And um, I think most of the reason is because I. After we saw this, we saw Planes, Fire, and Rescue. I know most of you are going to be like, what? I'm like, and Eve or Million Dollar Arm, both of those movies, to me, were a better movie than this was. 
Um, not that's that this good. Wasn't, I haven't seen it. Not that this wasn't. Not that this wasn't good. I really think it, you know two two two's not bad. I mean, I would I would rent it if, when it when it came out if I if I hadn't seen it, or I might rent it again. Who knows? Um, but I really just don't think it's in that. You know, I I think as a, one of the people that like really feels about Disney continuity. Unlike Alice in Wonderland, this this gave me a totally different aspect. Yeah. All right, Todd. What about you? Um. Yeah, I'm a I'm a little torn. I mean, like my my feelings are, you know, the acting is actually strong for some of the characters. Some of the characters, it's weak. I'm really torn about the plot because it's kind of sort of piecemeal at points and then there's a couple really strong points though that offset that um you know and the special effects though are amazing i mean stellar through and through the camera angles are awesome you know i i not, nothing pulled me out of the scene you know a lot of times like you can always tell a bad camera shot in a movie because it pulls you out of the scene and i never felt like i was like that at all during this movie so i really enjoyed that um, I can't quite give it a three, but I'm going to give it a two point seven five. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. All right, Rachel, yours is the last word here. Oh my goodness, the pressure's on. Okay. Um, so first, my thoughts, and then I will give my rating. Um, I think I'm going to probably rate this maybe a little bit higher than the movie actually warrants, I, as far as, like, if you're just looking strictly at the quality of it, because, yeah, there are story problems, there are some acting problems, but I, I really enjoyed this movie a lot. I think it's incredibly gutsy. Um, I really love the look of it. Um, I forgot to mention this earlier, but Angelina Jolie's look with the, the wings and the horns really reminded me of Saga, which the comic book saga, which is really enjoyable. Um, you know, I, and it might be that I enjoy the ideas that, ex- that it's exploring, but especially from a first time director, I mean, Robert Stromberg, he's done visual effects before this for a first time director taking on a blockbuster like this. I think he did an exceptional job. Um, so I am going to give this three and a half. All right. I, I think we're all sort of in that same range. I mean, like from a two to a three and a half is not, I mean, yeah, it's kind of a wide range, but but not not too much. I think we're, you know, on average, we're saying somewhere in the... None of us are saying don't watch this. That, that's right. That's exactly yeah. it. We're not talking million dollar duck folks. <laughs> despite, despite the fact that I really did like this, I mean, I would say, you know, if... This is a million dollar. If you told me you have two movies you can see, Cheryl, tomorrow, it's million dollar doc or this. I would see this. Mm. Yeah, not I really thinking, saying much. I was thinking this. Um, it's got a challenge, right? Because we already know the story. And although they did throw a twist in it, th- this type of movie. You were talking about the plot, maybe weakness, but we already know the pl- we already know the plot. We know the story. <laughs> yeah. So what they can't surprise us too much. Yeah, see, and I, I, I think they were trying to make it a different enough story, but have the same over arc. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know. I just think that Sleeping Beauty does a better job if we're just talking strictly the same story. Right. 
right? Because the pieces of Sleeping Beauty fit better together. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I. Oh. So it'd be interesting what they do with Cinderella because I just watched Cinderella, the original. Yeah. Recent, recently. And I was like, well, I, I hadn't seen it in a long time. I was like, wow, that is an amazing film for its time or, or any, you know, in so many ways. So it'd be interesting what How they do. How they're going to change it up. Yeah. Well, as long as it doesn't end up being named Tremaine, I think we'll all end up be okay. <laughs> no one wants that. Sorry. No, we don't want that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, so that is our look at Maleficent. Uh, if you guys agree with us, disagree with us, just let us know what you think. Uh, head over to DisneyFilmProject.com and leave a message in the show notes. You can tweet us at DisFilmProject. You, of course, can find us on Facebook at DisneyFilmProject, or you can email us DisneyFilmProject at gmail.com. Curtis and Lindsay, thank you guys for joining us tonight. Thank you so much, Ryan, for having us. We had a ball. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, fantastic. Great. Yeah, and you guys don't forget to listen to their show, Geeking on WDW. Make sure you uh, you go check that out. Uh, I'm sure they can find that on iTunes, right? Absolutely. And, you know, we got the Twitter handle and the Facebook handle also. So we build a little, our little community, too. We're having a little ball doing it. Great. Glad to hear it. Uh, so go over to iTunes and check that podcast out. Check you know, and while you're there, leave a review for their show and ours. Right? Uh, yeah. Everybody, like, that's how people find the shows when they go on iTunes or go on their podcast app on their phone. So uh, leave a review, and that helps everybody out there. Um, you can also listen to this show on uh, Diz Dad's Radio or on Stitcher. So make sure you go and check that out. And uh, until next week, then uh, for Todd and Rachel and Cheryl, I'm Ryan, and we will see you again soon. I had wings once, and they were strong. They could carry me above the clouds and into the headwinds, and they never faltered. Not even once. True love's kiss? Have you not worked it out yet? I cursed her that way because there is no such thing. I was so lost in hatred and revenge, you stole what was left of my heart. I like you begging. Do it again. A king does not take orders from a winged she-elf. I must say, I feel really quite distressed at not receiving an invitation. 